Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features senior pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. And now, here's Pastor Eric. And what I want to tell you is this. Every basketball coach wants justice on one end and mercy on another end. And it's true. It's true. That's the, that's the spiritual lens that I view this thing through. Every basketball coach wants justice when their team is wronged. They want justice. Buy the book justice on that end when their team is wrong. But when their team wrongs, they don't want justice. They want mercy. Justice on one end, mercy on the other. And I think at times we all want that. We want justice, but we also want mercy. And how do we get both? It's, it's in Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about justice and injustice this morning. And I want to encourage you as we're looking at different soul issues this morning to let your soul trust the justice of God. We actually crave justice. There are some lost people that that don't care about justice. But as Christians, our souls have a longing for justice. We crave it deep within our souls that there are justice and injustice issues that our, our souls are grappling with. And caring about justice is a good thing. Craving justice is a good thing. It means, number one, that you care about truth. My soul craves justice. It's a good thing. It means that I'm, number one, craving truth. Number two, it means that you're craving righteousness. It means that you care about righteousness. The Hebrew words justice and righteousness are actually related. To to crave justice means that you crave truth, that you crave rightness, that you crave righteousness. It's good. It's important. Number three, because it shows, it means that we were made in the image of God. It actually shows that that your child, that your teenager, that your student is made in the image of God when they are craving justice, that they want to see justice. We crave justice. But at times we find our souls crying injustice. There's so much injustice all around us that we see on a weekly basis, if not on a daily basis, and it's bothersome to our souls. We long for a world that is right, that is just, and that is fair. So the question is, how do we respond to injustice around us? The world, it's unjust. But God is just. Zephaniah 3.5 says God is just and men are unjust in this way. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning He shows forth His justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. The world is unjust, but God is just. I ask you a question this morning. In what ways does your soul cry for justice in this life? In what ways does mankind, in what ways or what areas do you seek justice and and fairness? We crave justice. 
but we cry injustice, so therefore we're led to contemplate God's justice, the, the justice of God. Life is filled with disappointments. Amen? And these disappointments may cause us to question God's justice. What do we do when things in life don't seem fair? We may get angry. We looked at that last week, right? What do we do when we're angry with God? And this sermon is so closely related to that, the justice of God. But what do you do when things in life don't seem to be fair? What do we do when we struggle with God's permissive will? What He permits or allows? What do we do when we think, God, that's not right? What do you do when you know God is able, but you don't think He's willing. God, I know you're able and powerful enough, but I just don't think that you're willing or you're going to do that. Do you question His justice? That's the examination question today, right? Search me, oh God. Know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. God, am I questioning your justice, the justice of God? Do we doubt the justice of God here on earth? Do we doubt the justice of God in eternity? I'd like for you to look at the screen to Romans 9.14. In Romans 9.14, the Apostle Paul is dealing with very deep issues, but he knows that we're prone to ask this question, and so this is what he says in Romans 9.14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. And that's a strong Greek word. By no means. Right? This is the question that all of our souls are asking as we crave justice, but we cry injustice and we contemplate God's justice, what are we to say? Are we wrestling with this question? God, is there injustice on your part? And the Apostle Paul just answers it as we know. No, 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 by no means. There is no injustice with God. If we doubt God's justice, we may ask these questions. Is God good? Is God willing? Is He just? Has He forgotten us? Some of you, you may be doubting the justice of God. We're going to look at that this morning. As we think about God's justice, sometimes we can think incorrectly about God's justice. In thinking incorrectly about the justice of God, we may, number one, incorrectly think that God will not reward, or number two, incorrectly think that God will not punish. But we know that both are true. God will reward and God will punish. God will do both in His time. We sometimes incorrectly think, God's not going to reward. God's not going to honor the good. Yes, He will in His time. God's not going to punish. He's not going to punish evil. Yes, He will in His time. So we think about the justice of God. In the Bible, there are a lot of Bible characters, great men and women of the faith that were bold and they actually questioned God's justice. They dealt with those injustice issues of the soul. Abraham was one that contemplated God's justice. Some characters that contemplated God's justice. Let me say Abraham. Abraham deals with the justice of God upon Sodom and Gomorrah, right? When God says, I'm going to reveal to you what I'm about to do. I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's justice issue is this. What if there are 50 people, righteous people there? God, what will you do then? So Genesis 18.25, he says this to the Lord. Far be it from you to do such a thing 
to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you, God. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? That's the question of our soul. Asaph. In the Psalms, Asaph was a man that questioned God's justice. Almost in an accusation form in Psalm 82.2, he says this, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? How long? God says, if you're judging unjustly. How long, Asaph says. There were other Bible characters that dealt with injustice and the justice of God. Some of them that you may think of would be people like Job. Or people like Jeremiah. Or maybe you would think of a great man named Habakkuk. All of these men felt like life wasn't fair. Perhaps God wasn't acting justly. Job is the book that deals with an individual's unjust suffering and all of its issues. But there is one small overlooked book, the book of Habakkuk, that deals with God's justice on a national level and some of those justice issues. It's one of my favorite books. It's in the Old Testament. It's the book of Habakkuk and it's our main text for today. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open to the book of Habakkuk. Don't feel bad about using the table of contents, but if you would like, please grab that Black Pew Bible. That Black Pew Bible is our gift to you today if you don't have an ESV Bible. And we're going to be on page 785. The book of Habakkuk, 785. Habakkuk was a pre-exilic prophet, which means he prophesied and preached and proclaimed before captivity, before exile. His name means something like embraced. This is one of my favorite Old Testament books. It is only three chapters long, and it would bless your soul to go home today and to read it this afternoon or to read it this week. Three chapters, very, very easy and doable to read. But Habakkuk deals with huge issues, huge justice issues. God, are you going to reward? God, are you going to punish? When are you going to do this? Is this fair, God? Have you forgotten us? What shall we say then? <laughs> Is there injustice on God's part? And Habakkuk's wrestling with Romans 9.14, that question. Is there injustice on God's part? And by the end of the book, I think he answers it, not by, a, by no means, but in his own song and in his own beautiful poetry, in his own words, he comes to understand the justice of God. The book of Habakkuk, I invite you to look, especially at that Black Pew Bible. Let me give you the summary of this great book. It is a dialogue with, with God. He asks God questions and God gives answers. As we put the summary of the book on the screen, the book begins this way, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And Habakkuk voices his first complaint. In verses 1 through 4, you will see Habakkuk's complaint. Well, in verses 5 through 11, the Lord speaks and the Lord gives him a response. Okay, Habakkuk, let me respond to you. And then... In verse 12, Habakkuk offers his second complaint. He again bounces the ball back to God and asks him some more questions. And then God gives in chapter 2, verses uh, 2 to 20, a pretty lengthy response, the Lord's second response to Habakkuk. And then chapter 3 is a beautiful song. He's a songwriter. 
And Habakkuk loves to come and to express his, his feelings and his thoughts in a song. And he basically comes to decide some things about faith and about trust and about how he's going to live his life. And my favorite um, verses in this book are some of the very last ones, um, verses uh, 17 through 19. But let's go back. Let's look at an overview of this book. And let's start with the first complaint. Look at the first few verses. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Pretty bold question to start a book, isn't it? Uh, this doesn't seem fair, God. I'm crying out to you for help, for justice. My soul has these justice issues and I feel like you're maybe being unjust or maybe you've just forgotten me. How long will I cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? God, it seems as if you're not doing anything. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise in my country all around me. Things aren't going so... This is this complaint. He's just getting real with God. Verse so the law is paralyzed. Seems like it. The biblical law of justice just doesn't seem like justice never goes forth. His soul is dealing with some justice issues. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Here's his first complaint. How would you summarize it? Why? Why, God? Why are you tolerating wrong? Why does it seem like evil is winning in this life? Here on earth. Why, God? So the Lord answers. Let's look at the first response by God. Look among the nations, God says, and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Same Word, Chaldean, Babylonian. You probably know it better as the Babylonians. God says, I'm doing something. You're not even going to believe it if I tell you. I'll tell you some of it anyway. But he says this, I'm raising up the Babylonians. <laughs> that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. And he just goes on to describe the Babylonians and how ruthless they are. Go back to that summary and think. Habakkuk's first complaint. God, why are you tolerating wicked? Why aren't you doing something? Why is evil winning? Why aren't we being punished and things going you know, uh, right for us? And, and do you care about these things? And God basically comes in His first response and He says this. Oh, I'm going to do something. But... It's going to blow your mind. You're probably going to have more issues and questions from it. What I'm going to do is, I'm going to use the Babylonians to deliver my judgment and punishment on you Israelites. They're going to come in. They're swift. And he says, oh, I'm going to punish your nation's wickedness. I'm going to bring justice, but I'm going to use the most unlikely people to do that. And it's going to be the, the Babylonians. They're going to come in and they're going to take you into exile. They're going to destroy things, right? He's basically saying judgment's coming. It's coming. 
Judgment is coming, Habakkuk. So what does that do? It just leads Habakkuk and it leads us with all kinds of questions. You're going to do what? You're going to use who? How can you do that? Why would you do that? So Habakkuk gives his second complaint. Look at verse 12 and 13. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, I almost read this as a question. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment? Or if you, okay, O Lord, you've ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You, who are pure of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. And he goes on and he gives his complaint even into chapter 2, verse 1. He basically says in his second complaint, why do you tolerate the more wicked? Why are you going to use wicked people to judge us? I mean, we're even better off. We, we know you and have the law, but God, that, your punishment does not make sense. Your justice does not make sense. God, why? Okay, I'll tell you a little bit. This is what I'm going to do. You're going to do what? That doesn't make any sense. Why? Why? How can this even be? How are you going to tolerate the more wicked? And so God gives his second response. We find it in chapter 2, verse 2 and following. And the Lord answered me. Right? He, he ends or begins chapter 2 by saying, Look, I'm going to wait. I'm going to, I'm going to see what God says um, to my complaint. And he says, chapter 2, verse 2, The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, thank God He did, so that we may, uh, so He may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens, hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith or by his faithfulness. The righteous shall live by his faith. In his second response, God basically says this, but Habakkuk, will you trust me? Will you trust me to be God? Will you trust me to do what is just and right and fair? Even though you don't understand what I'm doing, will you trust me? The righteous will live by His faith, by His faithfulness. Will you walk by faith? And the New Testament writers love this verse. This is the verse that they often quote. is from Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith, even when talking about the gospel. And God goes on. He, he delivers some woe in chapter 2, verse 6 to the, to the following, the rest of that chapter. We don't have time to, to read it. But he basically says, and I have some woes to pronounce over the Chaldeans, over the Babylonians. I'm going to deal with them too in my time, in my way. Don't lose heart. Just live by faith. Continue to be faithful. They'll get theirs there are many that contemplated justice. Habakkuk on a national level. Job on an individual level, right? And all of his friends have this response. Job, this is how you should respond to this type of, of suffering, right? And Job has his, his own view, right, of, of an individual's unjust suffering. But just like Habakkuk, Job, 
Abraham, will you, will you destroy it for 50 people in the city? Right? right? Will the judge of the earth do what's right? We too wrestle with all these questions. God, as I look around, am I struggling with justice issues and fairness issues when I don't understand what's going on and what's allowed in this world? So we consider justice. We consider justice. Let me give you two things that I think the Bible teaches us to do when we struggle with injustice issues. Two things we must do when struggling with injustice. Number one, we must trust that God is and will be just. We have to trust that God is just, that God will be just. And number two, we have to have patience with God's timing. Patience with God's timing. Job had to do these two things. Habakkuk had to do these two things, right? Jeremiah would have to do these two things. Number one, we have to trust that God is and will be just. God is right. God is good. He is righteous. He is just. So we can trust Him. Number one, we have to just do this. We have to let God be God. God, great are you, and and you're on the throne. Lord, I'm going to let you be God. The rock... His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is He. Deuteronomy 32.4 We live by faith in God. The righteous will live by faith. Faith in God that He is good, that He is just, that He is on the throne, even when we don't understand all of His ways. We trust He's a God of justice. Upright is He. But secondly, number two, we have to have patience with God's timing. Because God's timing and our timing, sometimes they just don't align, do they? We have to do this. We have to submit to the process. right? Some coaches say, we have to submit to the process that this life is a process and even God's justice is a type of process. We have to submit to that process. And Habakkuk had to learn to do that. God, why? Okay, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to do what? I don't understand that. Okay, I know you don't, but will you be faithful and will you live by faith? They're going to get it, but what about you? Will you, will you, even when you don't understand, will you be patient and submit to the process? And in chapter 3, by the end, you see that Habakkuk had learned to do that through his song. Yes, Lord, I, I will submit to that process. You are God. I trust you. I'm not. And I'll be patient and I'll wait to see that you'll bring calamity on the nation invading us. But until then, I'll submit to that process. Right? Be patient with God's timing. We haven't seen the end of the story, have we? It's not over yet, is it? It's not over. Justice comes later. It's what we see. That justice comes later. Did God really promise that this earthly life would always be fair? Did God promise that this life would be easy and fair and and always be just? No. We crave justice, but we cry injustice. We contemplate the justice of God, His ways, His timing. Some of you cross-stitch. Sometimes we're simply looking at the wrong side of the cross-stitching picture. We don't see as God sees. Look at it and go, God, I don't see that. Uh Oh, Oh, oh it's, I get it now, right? We submit that one day the cross-stitching picture will flip and we see as God sees and we go, oh yes, God, you're good, you are just, and, and you are for us. Hear the Word of God. 
Job 34, 12 says, God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Hear the word of God, Romans 12, 19. It teaches that God administers justice in His time and in His way. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Hear the word of God from Acts 17, 30 and 31 that teaches that God has a day and a person to judge. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. I love Acts 17, 30 and 31. It says there is a day and there is a man of judgment and justice. His name is Jesus. Romans 2, 5 says it this way. There's a day of justice. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Be patient. Be prepared for that day of justice. Look at this one on the screen from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It actually teaches us the what and the when of justice. He says, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. That's the what of justice. When? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. He'll get it. He'll give back that, that restorative judgment, that retributive uh, type of, of, of judgment and justice. When? When the Lord Jesus comes. When He comes from heaven. We consider justice today. But we know ultimately that God knows us, owes us no explanations. Amen? He didn't owe Job an explanation. He didn't owe Habakkuk an explanation, right? He sets the verdict. We were created for Him, remember, not He for us. So with faith, we submit to what He ordains and orders because He does well. Uh, A.W. Pink said, What God ordains for us and what He orders from us is just and right simply because He so wills it. Calvin, one of the reformers, says this, The will of God is the highest rule of justice, so that what He wills must be considered just for this very reason, because He willed it. When it is inquired, therefore, why the Lord did so, the answer must be because He would. But if you further ask why He so determined, you are in search of something greater and higher than the will of God, which can never be found it's beyond us. Oh, the depth of His Wisdom, we submit to what He ordains and orders. But if you're honest, a lot of times, uh, if you're like me, we want to be the judge, don't we? We want to administer what we think is justice. And when we think it needs to be administered in that timing, there's a warning we're not to take ultimate justice administration into our own hands. I want to show you a beautiful verse that deals with the justice of God. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, don't pronounce judgment before the time, 
before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart that each one will receive his commendation from God. As I look at this verse, I see three things. I see three things that we're to note. Number one, there's a right person to judge. Number two, there is a right timing to the judgment. And then therefore, number three, we're not to judge before the final. Go back to that verse. Right? We're not to judge before the final. He says, therefore, don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Right? He's the right person that's going to administer ultimate justice and ultimate judgment. It's Jesus. Don't pronounce judgment right on one another, on, on me, Paul says, right? before the Lord comes, because He's the right person to judge. And there's also a, a right time. He says He's going to bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness, and He'll disclose the purposes of the heart, right? but it's, it's going to come at His coming. There's a right time. A right person and a right timing. So don't judge before the final. Some of you, some of us, have acted as professor and we've given others a grade before the final and before the semester's over. Amen? You've looked at that person and you said, I'll be your professor and I'm going to grade you before the semester's over and before the final. I've already written it in my book. You got an F with me, right? And you're thinking, God hasn't pronounced the final grade on that person. Who are you, oh man, to judge that person and to think that, that you are going to be the, the just one? There's a right person, Paul says, to judge. He's talking about them even judging. And he says, and there's a right timing to that. Look, he says, look, you know, we can judge ourselves and maybe there's a part that we're going to play in this, but, but not before the final. Then, right? Then. I think there are many of us that if we peeled away some of the layers, if we looked at some of the people, we would really say, I think maybe what's going on in their soul are these justice and injustice issues of, of the fairness of God and of life and how you respond when you look at us. You know, it's such a good thing. It means that my children desire truth and righteousness, and kids are great at this. Like They want justice and swiftly and quickly, and we do too. Right? And it means that we are made in the image of God, of all types of creations. You know, this is a good thing, but we... It should point us to faith. The righteous will live by faith and it should point us to the gospel. So we have to counter sometimes our doubt. Was Job doubting God? Was Habakkuk doubting God? Right? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. But what do we do with our doubt? We have to counter our doubt. When we doubt the justice of God, we're actually worshiping the idol of self. Whenever we doubt the justice of God, we're, we're carving away our own idol of self and saying, but I'm the judge, my timing, and I, I can make the ruling. God, my way would be so much better. Right? You doubt the justice of God, confess it as sin. Confess that it's, you're carving that idol of self. But our, our one great need is to trust God, to stop doubting. The righteous will walk by faith. They'll be faithful until the end, even when you don't understand. We counter doubt with faith. Trust God. We pray, Thy will be done. God, I don't, Thy will be done. We trust God with faith. By the end of the book, Habakkuk had done that. Habakkuk ends with a prayer. Look at chapter 3. He prays it. He, he sings it. He first speaks of God's greatness. I won't read it, but I invite you to, to, to look at it. And it's, it's beautiful. And then he comes to my favorite part of the song. 
it's printed out, I've preached on it before, and it's not the main thrust of today, right? But um, it's a, a beautiful resolving of to live by faith and to rejoice. Look at, look at what he says, the way it ends. Look at verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16. Now, what would you feel like? Or how would you feel, right, if God said, and the Babylonians are coming, and they're going to they're gonna administer my justice? You'd, you would feel terrible, like, oh, my goodness, captivity, exile's coming. Look at what he says. I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I love the yet moments in Scripture. Yet, I wait quietly, patiently, trustingly, if I could say. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon not only us, but he says this, upon the people who invade us. I'm dealing with this even physically now because it's deep in my soul, but I'm going to wait not only for you to deal with us, but to, that you're going to deal with them. I'm going to wait quietly for your justice and its timing and you to, to judge upon those people who are going to invade us. Some of the beautifulest, most beautiful uh, verses in Scripture. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree shouldn't blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation, my Yeshua. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. He plays his song. But he basically says this, although it get really bad, although there be nothing what I would want to see, the fruit and the sheep, and although it would be horrible, not what I would desire, yet I will rejoice. I'll submit to the process. There's a right judge. There's a right time. There's, there's, it's going to work out God's way. I'll live by faith. I will rejoice. God, you are the source of my strength, not my circumstances. Don't you love this book? Like, why is it not studied more? I love it. I love it. Beautiful song of faith. Stop doubting the justice of God and by faith start trusting God to be just. I resolve to rejoice and trust that you will be just. To trust that your ways are higher than mine. In many ways, we, we let the justice issues point us to the gospel. Justice and the gospel. In the end, do we really want what's fair? Do we really want what we deserve? Do we really want what we've earned? I don't. <laughs> I don't. It seems like we're like with a basketball coach, right? We want justice in one area, but we want mercy in another. God, I don't want what I've deserved or earned. Or uh, We need justice and we need mercy. And we have this in Christ. The cruel cross, and it was cruel, the cruel cross shows us just how vitally important and crucial the justice of God is. You don't think He cares about justice? 
go to the cross. It had to be. It had to be that cruel. It was, it was vital. It was important to satisfy the demands of the justice of, of God. And the gospel does that. The gospel satisfies the justice of God. In Christ, justice is met on our behalf. A.W. Pink said these words, Because the sword of divine justice was sheathed in the side of the substitute, I go free. Because the sword of divine justice was sheathed in the side of the substitute, I go free. We go free. You can go free today. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy justice and mercy. The gospel is the only way that justice and mercy flow to us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 24 reminds us of the example of, of Jesus. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. The Bible is the story of the justice of God, isn't it? The Bible is the story of God's goodness and righteousness and how He deals with us sinful man. Justice comes, and how does justice come, and when does justice come? Justice comes with Jesus, amen? Justice comes with Jesus. It has and it will. It's come with His first coming, and it will come at His Second coming. When will there, be, will there be retribution? When will there be ultimate administration of justice at His coming when, when He comes with all the holy ones? 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, 7 says, justice comes with Jesus. So we trust, we walk by faith, and we counter our doubt, and we trust God's gospel of how our need for justice and mercy are met. And and in the end, we know that God will make all things right. We wait upon the Lord. We go and do justice because God is. Isaiah 30, 18 says this. Isaiah 30, 18, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show you mercy, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait on Him. May God bless you as you wait. Let's stop and pray. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.